Hi everyone, um, thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, so the talk is on the new evangelization. So when I was 19 years old, I discovered something truly new. Very rare in life does something come along that radically changes who you are and how you view the world. In fact, I can probably only pinpoint three times in my life where something like that's happened. First was being married, the second was the birth of my children, and the third was discovering this new thing when I was 19 years old. Now, this new thing I discovered was actually quite old, ancient in fact, and many people had discovered it before me, and those who had discovered it were so amazed, so struck with wonder and awe, that they gave their lives to proclaim it. They thought, I would rather die than people not know about this amazing, jubilant, um, brilliant new thing. So it wasn't just a select few people who had discovered this new thing. People of all races, ages, from every part of the world, um, from all epochs, all times, had discovered this amazing new thing and had wanted to give their lives witnessing to it. Now, the new thing I discovered when I was 19 was that Jesus Christ died, rose again, and salvation is offered for all as a gift of God's grace and mercy. Christ's passion, death, and resurrection occurred in history, but the grace and power of the resurrection transcends history and is available for all of us to encounter and live and experience right now some 2,000 years later. So to talk about this new thing is such good news. It's an amazing, amazing thing that heals, transforms lives. It's redemptive. It's powerful. But why do we talk about it? Why do we share this good news? Well, because we are called to. It's part of who we are as the baptized, as those who are followers of Christ. We are called to share the gospel with the world. I'm sure you're all familiar with the Great Commission at the end of, the, of Matthew's Gospel when Christ is about to ascend. We read, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in Acts, we also read that Christ said, you will receive power and you will go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So before I talk about evangelization, I just want you to share for a minute to the people around you the, and answer these two questions. Give you a 10 second pitch on what is evangelization and what is the purpose of evangelizing? What's the end goal? So for the next minute, give you a 10 second pitch. What is evangelization? So what is evangelization? It's a great question. And I want to draw your attention to an encyclical by Pope Paul VI, which he wrote in 1976. And he, he said this about what evangelization is. For the church, evangelizing means bringing the good news to all humanity and through its influence, transforming humanity from within and making it new. 
Now I am making the whole of creation new from Revelations. But there is no new humanity if there is not first of all new persons renewed by baptism and by lives lived according to the gospel. The purpose of evangelization is therefore precisely this interior change. And if it had to be expressed in one sentence, the best way of stating it would be to say that the church evangelizes when she seeks to convert, when she seeks this interior change, this renewal, um, which comes about through Christ. He later goes on to say, there is not true evangelization if the name, teaching, the life, the promises, the kingdom and the mystery of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, are not proclaimed. I'll say that again. I know it's up on the screen, but it's worth repeating. There is not true evangelization if the name, teaching, the life, the promises, the kingdom and the mystery of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, are not proclaimed. Evangelization will always contain a clear proclamation that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, who died and rose from the dead, salvation is offered to all as a gift of God's grace and mercy. That is at the heart of evangelization, and that's from that uh, 1976 encyclical uh, by Pope Paul VI. So, um, when I grew up, I had never really heard this stuff. I'd never heard the gospel message. I was born and raised Catholic, and growing up, um, I went to Mass every single Sunday, and I hated going. My parents never prayed at home, we never said grace, and so Mass for me seemed like this weird thing stuck on the end of our week that had no relevance to the rest of our, our lives. And every time I came home from Mass, I actually would recall an episode of The Simpsons. And in this episode, the Simpsons themselves come home from church, and Homer says, woohoo, it's the greatest time of the week. And when Marge asks why, Lisa says, it's the longest possible time before any more church. And I honestly used to think of that every Sunday when we would come home. And so I had an ongoing battle with my parents trying to weasel my way out of Mass every Sunday. And by the time I hit high school, my parents gave me the choice. They said, Nathan, we think you're old enough to make your own decision. Um, we'd like you to come to Mass, but you're old enough to make that call. And so I did a bit of a Pontius Pilate and I washed my hands of Mass. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to Mass ever again. And then when I got into high school, I started going to Mass about once a month, mainly just to try to keep my parents happy, but it never had any real significance for me. I never really, really understood. I never really, it never really um, resonated with me. Fast forward a few years um, when I started going, studying to be a teacher and I stopped going to, all, to Mass altogether. And I got a phone call out of the blue from the campus minister at my old high school and said, Nathan, have you heard of World Youth Day? And I said, no, what's that? And so she explained it to me and that what I heard was this big party down in Sydney where 500,000 people from all over the world are going to gather. And that sounded pretty good to me, but she said, oh, we're taking a group there from, from the school and it's going to be $1,000 to go. And I was like, oh, $1,000? Like, oh, no, thank you. And she said, no, but because you're a past student, it's going to be free, free for you to go. And so I said, oh, yes, thank you. So I went down to World Youth Day, probably not with the best intentions. I remember the only goal I had at that time was that I wanted to get a photo with a, a girl from every country in the world. That was, that was just where my, my heart was at was at the time. Um, 
But once I got there, every morning we would begin with catechesis and there'd be different speakers from around the world and they would start sharing about what Christ had done in their life. And the first time I heard this message, I was a bit confronted by it and I just thought, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. I'll let that, you know, let that one through to the keeper. Um, but every night we'd go to different, you know, rallies and these different talks and things. And I kept hearing this, this gospel message about Christ crucified and risen and transforming people's lives. And at first I thought, oh, okay, that's good for those people, but it's not for me. And, but after hearing this stuff time and time again, day after day at World Youth Day, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to confession at World Youth Day. That's going to be my Catholic thing while I'm here. And so I made that decision to go. And then um, a few nights later, when Pope Benedict arrived, I was meant to have dinner with uh, one of my mates and one of his, his cousins. And I got to the spot we were meant to meet, and I couldn't find my friend anywhere. And then I saw him sitting down on the grass. And World Youth Day is really crazy. You've got these uh, little stadiums, and there's music going here. There's another stage over here, and there's just everything happening. But I saw my friend sitting down, and I, well, I was like, oh, there he is. And I walked over, and as soon as I approached him, I felt like something was up. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, I am. I just went to confession. And I said, oh, oh why, why did you do that? And he said, some random guy just grabbed me. I didn't even know him. And he said, you need to go to confession. So I went. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, you should go. He was like, there, there's the confessional tent over there. Just go, and then we can go, out. We can go to dinner. And so I said, okay, I'll go. And as soon as I lined up, I felt really vulnerable. I felt like I was awaiting my, my fate and I had no power or control over what was going to happen. And I remember I went into the confessional and I said to the priest, I haven't been to confession since I did my first confession like 10 years ago and I don't really know what to do but I want to go so can you sort of talk me through this? And he started asking me questions about my life, about what relationship I had with God, about how I viewed women, about how I was living. And he started to draw all these things out of me. And I started to confess these things that were heavy on my conscience that I'd never told my closest friend. I told him about my drinking, about vandalism, about pornography, all these things that I'd been exposed to and engaging with in my life that I'd never told my closest friend. But I found myself just blurting them all out. And with everything I said, the priest received me with such love and what he spoke into into my, my heart and when I said my confession, I was so amazed by, especially areas around sexuality, because I'd never heard any of this stuff before. And as he was talking, I could feel my heart just like joyful, like just thinking, yes, this is true. I've always known this. And I didn't know, you know, I never I understood the faith, but whenever I did something wrong, there was always my conscience in the back of my heart thinking, oh, Nathan, don't do this, or this isn't good. But when this priest started to articulate you know, God's plan for my, for my life, for, for love, for, for relationship, for all those sorts of things, I felt like, yeah, I've heard this before. I've heard this message. I've heard it in my heart, in my conscience, whenever I was doing those bad things. And I remember I left the confessional and I just wanted to know God. And so for the first time in my 19-year life, I said a sincere prayer. And I remember I saying, Jesus, if you're real, I, I want in, I want to know you. And I felt this love, this, this abundant love just surround me and fill me up and I felt so beautiful, so deeply loved. And I remember saying in the, the conscience of my heart, where have you been? Like, where have you been my whole life? 
And I felt Christ say to me, not in an audible voice or a burning bush or anything like that, but I felt Christ softly say to me, I've always been here and I always will. And slowly that euphoric feeling of love, of peace, of joy, it started to slowly drift away. And I remember saying, like, no, 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 stay, stay. I want to keep feeling this love. I want, I, want to keep, I want to keep knowing you, Jesus. But slowly that feeling drifted away and it was gone. And I remember being so gobsmacked, so amazed. And I didn't know what to do because I remember just thinking, God's real. Christ is real. Jesus is real. That's why all these people I thought were weird are here in Sydney, because maybe they've had some encounter like I've had. But I kept it to myself because with my logical thinking, I thought, what if one of my friends had told me they'd had an experience like this? How would I respond? And honestly, I don't think I would have responded really well. So as amazed and as in wonder and awe as I was, I kept that encounter, my encounter with Christ to myself. And then when I got home from World Youth, I remember the first night I got home, I stole one of my mum's candles and I went into my room, turned off the light, lit the candle, I did the sign of the cross and I remember saying out loud, you can hear me, can't you? Because I'd had that experience and I started to have this prayer life. I developed this, this prayer life um, with Christ every day and I remember going back to uni after World Youth Day and just as soon as I set foot on campus realising I'm not meant to be here. God's got something in store for me that, and this isn't it. And I remember deferring um, and I did a year of mission work at Net Ministries because I wanted to just cultivate my relationship with Christ and that's where I met my beautiful wife Jen who's here tonight. And that, that encounter that I had at World Youth Day set me on this traje trajectory in my life which is totally different to the path that I was treading. But it wouldn't have happened a, unless it was God's grace. But also I think those people at World Youth Day who were sharing the gospel, who were sharing their testimonies and talking about who Christ is, I was evangelized by people sharing their message, by sharing their relationship with Christ with me. And that paved the way for fertile soil in my heart for the Holy Spirit to work in me. And so I, what I heard at World Youth Day, what transformed my life, is what we call the kerygma, which is the basic gospel message. It's a Greek word. It's the basic gospel message. And so here's two little summaries of um, what the, the kerygma is. First one from Pope Francis, and the next one from that encyclical from uh, Pope Paul VI. So Pope Francis says, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he is living at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. Pope Paul explains the charisma like this. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, who died and rose from the dead, salvation is offered to all as a gift of God's grace and mercy. This is the message. This is the best message ever of all time, all eternity. People can give you great messages about discounts and things or, you know, give you free Netflix for passwords and give you free anything you want. But this message is eternal. It's transformative. It's, it's the message that the world so desperately needs to hear. It's the charisma, the good news, the basic gospel message, and it transforms hearts and lives. And so I'm going to ask you again to turn to the people around you, and I want you to come up with your own five, ten-second pitch about the basic gospel message. If someone was to ask you, what's the charisma? What's the ball down the gospel message in a nutshell? What would you say? 
Go. So that's evangelization. That's the charisma. That's the basic gospel message. But then in 1979, in a homily, Pope John Paul II coined the phrase, the new evangelization. So what is the new evangelization? So one thing I just want to be really clear at, at the start, the new evangelization is not a new gospel message. Christ's message is eternal, it's perennial, it's all time. The new evangelization is not a new gospel message but rather it's how do we present the gospel to our contemporary world. John Paul looked around and saw globalization as, a, as an evident thing that's coming around and he thought we need to bring the gospel in a new way. And this is his famous quote on the new evangelization. I look to the future with a commitment to a new evangelization, one that is new in its adored, new in its methods and new in its means of expression. Um, he went on to say, particularly in countries with ancient Christian roots where entire groups of the baptized have lost a sense of faith and, are no, and no longer even consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and the gospel. In this case, what is needed is a new evangelization or a re-evangelization. He says, the time has come to commit the church's energies to the new evangelization. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all nations. And John Paul identified three main groups in need of, the new, of new evangelization. So the first one there are those who have not heard the gospel message, which is what the original evangelization was, going out to people who had not heard the good news of Christ. The second group John Paul identifies are those living out the faith but needing a deeper conversion. That would be all of us here today, if you're here tonight. And the third one are those who once received the gospel but have grown lukewarm or cold and may have abandoned the faith. This is what John Paul calls the re-evangelization because so many have once heard the gospel but it, the, this, the um, seeds haven't found those fertile soil or once it had it was choked and and now it's been, been lost, and so we need that re-evangelization. Um, one of the key things about evangelize, the new evangelization and evangelization in general, which the last three pontiffs have all pointed out and tried to make really clear, is that it's Christ-centered. It needs to be a sharing of your personal relationship with Christ. That's at the heart of it. So here we have John Paul saying, the new evangelization is not a matter of merely passing on doctrine, but rather a personal and profound meeting with the Saviour. Pope Benedict in his first encyclical said, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon, horizon and a decisive direction. That was my experience after encountering Christ, a completely new horizon and a new decisive direction, a new mission. And lastly, Pope Francis, I invite all Christians everywhere at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, or at least an openness to letting him encounter them. I ask all of you to do this unfailingly each day. No one should think that this invitation is not meant for him or her, since no one is excluded from the joy brought by the Lord. 
And my hope with this talk, or any talk I give, no matter what the topic is, is that those would leave it wanting to have a deeper relationship with Christ. That when you leave tonight, that you want to do what Pope Francis says at the, the bottom there, just a renew your commitment to Christ. Because we can't evangelize unless we have that relationship with Jesus, unless we have that ongoing prayer life. We're frequenting the sacraments and having Christ center to our life. And this is something that the three most three recent popes have been trying to echo and get everyone to pay attention to. The new evangelization is Christ-centered. Being Catholic is Christ-centered. You need to have a relationship with Christ in order to live out your faith. That's what being a Christian means. Um, John Paul identified what he called the eclipse of God. So in his writings on the new evangelization, when he's the most traveled uh, person in history, he's going around to all these countries all over the globe and realizing there's a real eclipse of God taking place. He said, quote, even in countries evangelized many centuries ago, the reality of a Christian society is now gone. It doesn't exist. He said, we must revive in ourselves the burning conviction of St. Paul, who cried out, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I think even that the eclipse of God happens for us as Christians. So many of us are asleep to the, to the resurrection, to who we are as baptized Catholics. We have been created by a loving father. Yes, we fell to original sin, but we've been redeemed by Christ, given the gift of the Holy Spirit and called to eternal beatitude in heaven. This is who we are. This is our vocation, our calling, our destiny. And so when we ask, you know, what's natural for us to do or how should we live? We should be looking at it in that lens, in that baptismal lens. Once we were baptized, we are recreated in Christ. We are a new creation. Our relationship with Christ isn't something added on or extra to our lives. We are fundamentally changed, transformed. And your baptism is an amazing, incredible event. If we marvel at the wonder of creation, we should equally marvel at the wonder of recreation in baptism, that receiving of the Holy Spirit, being given the, the gift of grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit to grow in love, faith, hope, charity, and all the virtues, to live a heroic life, conquering sin and death through the grace of the Spirit. This is our life. As Pope Leo X said, we are born for combat. We are in a battle with sin and death, and we need to be living this out every single day. And it's so easy for myself in particular to look at the culture and complain about the culture and see, yeah, I know what John Paul was talking about, the eclipse of God, like look at the, the state of things. But we need to look inside our own hearts to make sure the eclipse of God isn't happening interiorly for each one of us. Because our vocation and dignity as the baptized is immense, it's great, and it's something that we continuously need to rediscover. There's a great quote um, from Chesterton that I like. He wrote, At the back of our brains, there was a forgotten blaze or burst of astonishment at our own existence. And the object of the artistic or spiritual life was to dig for this submerged sunrise of wonder. So the spiritual life helps us rediscover this original burst of astonishment at our own existence. A nihilistic culture has forgotten that existence is good and that it's delightful. And another quote from Chesterton, he says, but the man will find more and more meaning who walks through the forest of doctrine and design. 
I have entered at, at least the gate of all good philosophy. I have come into my own second childhood. For Chesterton, the fact that the world is designed, that we have doctrine, that we have moral law, natural law, that we have this deposit of faith, the revelation of God himself in his son, preserved for us by the church in the deposit of faith, is amazing, it's wonderful. And the fact that the world's designed, that there is doctrine, that means that everything has meaning. Everything has purpose. And one of the great joys of life is the adventure of discovering what those meaning and purposes is. And that's one of the great gifts of being Catholic and having the church, having the deposit of faith, that through our lives, our continuous journey, we constantly discover and rediscover the beauty, the depth, the meaning and purpose of God and his designs for our life. If there is no doctrine, if there is no design, life is meaningless and it becomes nihilistic, it becomes boring, it becomes absurd, chaotic. But the fact that there is a purpose, the fact that we are created, designed, that we have a telos, an end goal to get to heaven and that we can discover who we are through and in and through Christ is a great delight, a great joy. The Second Vatican Council said that Christ came to reveal man to himself. Christ is the one we look to. He reveals us to ourselves and makes our supreme calling clear. We have such a gift in the knowing that Christ came. And being Catholic, we have access to the deposit of faith. And so as Catholics, we should be constantly rediscovering the joy of our faith, the joy of being recreated in Christ. I'm very lucky in having children because children help you do that all the time. You try taking a, a three-year-old to the park. He wants to stop every two meters. Dad, look at this bug. Dad, did you see this bug? Yeah, I've seen bugs. Let's, let's go, we're moving. Dad, look at this stick. Dad, 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 have you seen this stick? Yeah, it's the same as this other stick you picked up two minutes ago. Dad, look at these rocks. Yeah, I've seen rocks. I've se I know what rocks look like. But I always get caught up in, you know, we want to go to the park, we need to get there, we need to do what we're going to do. But children are delighted with existence, delighted with the natural world. They can have so much fun, like looking at a bug and just want to, to follow it around, discover it. They get excited and enjoy, enjoyment out of it. A few months ago, um, we, we were coming back from a, a dinner party and my kids usually go to bed around seven, so they don't usually see the stars that often. And I remember as I was taking him out of the car, he looked up at the, the he saw the stars, he said, wow, we're really lucky to see the stars, aren't we, Dad? And I remember just thinking, yeah, yeah, we are lucky. Like, this is amazing. And that was the first time I'd actually probably looked at the stars in like 10 years. But it takes kids who are come into the world and they're just amazed at existence. They're so filled with awe and wonder. And having kids helps you rediscover that awe and wonder. Like, yeah, life is amazing. Existence is beautiful. The created world is magnificent. And kids help you rediscover it. And that's what Christ helps us to do. Anyone who's encountered Christ, has a life with Christ, is constantly joyful. You're constantly rediscovering the beauty of life, the meaning of life, overcoming sin and temptation, growing in virtue. It's a joy-filled thing. And it's something we should cling to as Catholics, that, that, we are, that we have this deposit of faith, that we can know Christ in his full truth, because that helps us overcome the eclipse of God. Because once you get a glimpse of God, you want all of God. Um, and so I want to encourage you uh, to share your story, share your joy with the faith. Um, 
I know I put up two little quotes there from Scripture as a, as a bit of a reminder. So St. Paul, the greatest evangelizer of all time, when writing to the Corinthians says, As for me, brothers, when I came among you, it was not with any show of oratory or philosophy, but simply to tell you what God had guaranteed. During my stay with you, the only knowledge I claimed to have was about Jesus and only about him as the crucified Christ. You don't have to have great philosophy or be, be a theologian to evangelize, to witness and share your faith. As St. Paul tells us, the greatest evangelizer, all I, the only thing I shared with you was my knowledge about Jesus and him crucified. And our first Pope, Peter, always have an answer ready for people who ask you for the hope that you have. And so that's something we should take responsibility for. When someone asks you, why are you Catholic? Or why do you believe? We should be able to give an answer to that. If this is meant to be what our, we hang our whole lives on, this is what our life revolves around, we should be able to articulate our faith, why we believe in Christ. We should be able to articulate the gospel message. And again, you don't have to have a doctorate or a master's in theology, but you need to have your own knowledge of Christ and share your own relationship with Christ. You've got the, the church, you've got the deposit of faith if you want to clarify you know, theological points, but everyone can share their witness. Everyone can share their testimony. Um, just lastly, just because we're a, a younger audience, 18 to 35, plus religious, always young at heart, um, I wanted to highlight the, the digital continent. So Pope Benedict made this phrase when um, he said there's a new landscape developing Every century, every age, the church has sent out evangelizers and missionaries to all the continents to, to proclaim and preach Christ. But in the last 15 years, we've seen the emergence of a new continent, the digital continent, which is the internet, which has its own digital natives, people who grow up online. And this is how people communicate. This is how they share information, share experiences. This is how they live and exist. And I want to put it to... You guys, as the digital natives, the younger generation, you grow up with this certain language. The language is different online. It's quicker, it's faster, it's more, it's more emotion-driven, story-driven. It doesn't rely on you know, heavily reasoned-out arguments, but it's more about sharing experiences and images and in, in short little fragments. And so I want you to consider how you can use your platform or as a digital native, how you can bring Christ to the internet, how you can be a missionary to this new digital continent because it's vastly growing and it's the biggest continent in the world at the moment. Um, and as Archbishop Porteous said, today culture is not restricted to a particular national ethos, let alone to the influence of the church or to the family. It is being created in the global mass media, film, songs, computer games, advertising, new technology products, people are increasingly living within the virtual world. Society is no longer formed by the church or by the family. It's formed by mass media, and we need to add our voices and our witness to the new continent of the internet. Um, I just want to end by saying that no matter where you are in your relationship with Christ right now, you might be in a bit of a lull, you might be on fire, you might, you know, wherever you are, there's always more. Christ is in the business of making all things new. And so I just want to encourage you that no matter where you are, if you're in a really bad place, whether it's bad habits, bad relationships, addiction, whatever it is, 
There is always the hand of Christ outstretched to you saying, courage, take courage, it is I. And it's a hand that can pull you back into out of the depth of any sin, any bad habit, any addiction, and bring you new life and make you a new creation. It's so easy to go through the motions of things and just get stagnant or get, um, get bored or lethargic. But Christ is always new. He's always offering something unique. He's always ready to radically transform us. And he can transform you if you let him. And so I want to encourage you with the words of Pope John Paul II when he first became Pope, is to open wide the doors of your hearts to Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't think like, oh, I can't hand this over to Christ or I can't really share these parts of my life with Christ. He wants all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He is a loving God. He wants to transform you, recreate you, make you a new creation. And that is the God that we have. He's a God that transforms us, that gives us a new heart, who literally makes us a new creation. And so don't be afraid of Jesus Christ. We are Catholic. We're Christian. We follow God. We love God. And so he loves us unbelievably more than we could ever imagine. And so don't ever think you are not good enough for his love or to receive his mercy. He always wants to pour it out on you in abundance. So... Please, I want you to leave with that message. Don't be afraid of Jesus Christ. I just want to end with a, um, a final prayer, if you'd like to join me. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we invite you into, this, into our hearts tonight. I just ask that you come into us and transform us with your Holy Spirit. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to love you, to listen to you and our lives over to you. We ask for forgiveness for the times we have turned away from you, for our sins, and we ask for your mercy. We know you are always willing to forgive us, Lord. And so we ask for you to forgive us, to redeem us, to redeem our desires, our thoughts. Forgive us of our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Do a new thing in us tonight, Lord. Recreate our hearts. Give us a new life. Give us a new heart. A heart that loves you and serves you. And I pray that we leave tonight with a renewed sense of trust and hope in you, that you can give us the grace to say yes to you and to be vulnerable with you. And so we do all this for your glory, Lord Jesus. Pray, Lord, be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night.